This past week was the second annual Black Maternal Health Week, where politicians, healthcare providers, midwives, activists, and black mothers highlighted the ever-growing and stark maternal and infant health disparities between black and white Americans. This podcast seeks to examine the racialized histories which established and continue to influence healthcare systems and Western medicine. Comparing the United States with Canada to examine how similar histories and parallel patterns of anti-blackness, colonialism, and white supremacy shape the many ways in which black communities, indigenous communities, and other communities of color in Canada and America are treated. With a primary focus on American historical events, this is to reflect on the lack of data in Canada pertaining to the racialized health disparities which are reported in America, yet when compared to our southern neighbours, the state is virtually non-existent and racial bases are often not acknowledged. America has a very deep history of anti-blackness, tracing back to slavery. J. Marion Sims was and still is a very influential and renowned figure in medicine. Sims, or better known as the father of gynecology, conducted his research and experiments on slave women, mutilating their bodies in the name of science. His findings and tools, the speculum, are still used within gynecology today. His legacy of racism and violent acts on black women is still present with an incredibly large maternal mortality rate, which has contributed to the lack of care, knowledge and protection, as well as listening to black bodies and black women's voices. Black women all over the country are at a much greater risk for complications during pregnancy and postpartum. Serena Williams, one of the best tennis players in the world, had such a traumatic birthing experience. She recounts in an interview her struggle to have her voice be heard when trying to explain what she believed to be having a pulmonary embolism. She was continuously ignored and told that she was just confused because of her medication. But it turned out, after a lot of persisting, that she did indeed have blood clots in her lungs. William's story is one of many, and often these mothers aren't acknowledged in time and succumb to their symptoms, such as Shalyn Irvin, an epidemiologist at the CDC who studied how structural inequality, trauma and violence affects health, and who died of hypertension just a few weeks after giving birth. According to the American Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, black women are three to four times more likely to die from childbirth compared to the white counterparts. This is, as seen with Williams and Irvin, irrespective of class, education, status, healthcare, access to healthcare quality, and health. So how come preventable symptoms such as preeclampsia and hemorrhaging are killing black women at such an alarming rate? The answer is purposeful negligence inspired by racist assumptions. Doctors such as Sims and Dr. Ephraim McDowell, who is seen as the pioneer in abdominal surgeries, practicing and testing his methods of removing ovarian tumors on slave women. Men such as these paved the way for medical system which is inherently anti-black. Both worked within a time where black folk were considered less than lower class citizens. They were seen as nothing but inhuman property, yet their treatment of these slave women was considered unacceptable even within their historical bounds. Their assumptions of black bodies are definitions and descriptions reified today that black bodies do not feel pain and anxiety. Such racist narratives carry very real and deadly consequences for those seeking help within a medical setting. Narratives which leave black women bleeding out or actively ignored when fighting to have their voices heard and their bodies acknowledged. 
Racialized assumptions of how certain bodies work are in keeping with narratives of which body is considered valuable and which a nuisance. As we can see in the use of forced sterilization, with stories such as Fannie Lou Hamer, the leader of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party in the 1950s and 60s, was unknowingly sterilized and popularized the term Mississippi appendectomy, which highlighted the prevalence of these instances of involuntary hysterectomies within communities of color. Enforced and unknown sterilization are still something that we see today. In the 1920s to 30s, American eugenics movement was one which worked towards reducing the childbearing potential of poor and disabled immigrant families. And yet, forced sterilization and purposeful targeting contraceptives to certain populations are all current as well as past motives which continue to engage in population control of minority communities. These procedures arose out of the assumption that the women weren't fit to reproduce, a view which is still seen today and which has its roots in slavery. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, created the Negro Project in 1939, the family planning centers which actively pushed birth control in the Black South. As the times changed and black individuals were no longer seen as commodities, their value decreased, no longer would their bodies equate to profit, and therefore their perspective on black bodies shifted to one where they are seen as a nuisance population, which needed to be contained and controlled. This narrative was further taken up with a purposeful targeting of contraceptive pills on different communities of color. Dara Mathis recounts in her piece on racial bias in postpartum care. The anesthesia made me groggy, itchy, and nauseated. I still couldn't feel anything below my waist. A nurse pulled open the privacy curtain when she came to check on me. So, what are you going to do about birth control, she demanded. Here I was, just beginning to process my traumatic ordeal during labor, heavily medicated, and she wanted to know what my next method of contraception would be. Throughout my research, I encountered many similar stories mirroring this one, displaying the insidious intersectioning between medicine, eugenics, and racism, which influence and impact black women's health and lives today. While a lot of these accounts told are deeply situated within history, they cannot be separated from our institutions and systems today, as these very institutions we engage in are intimately interwoven with racist, anti-black, white supremacist, and colonialist ideals and objectives. So where does Canada fit in all of this? Personal stories and testaments of others attest to the lived experiences of being black and encountering anti-blackness is often, if not usually, contested, ignored, and denied. Comparisons between Canada and America are often made to point fingers and reinforce an all-too-simplistic dichotomy where America is bad and Canada is the good and well-mannered counterpart. Anthony Morgan of The Star wrote an excellent piece which perfectly summarizes in his article title, The Suffocating Experience of Being Black in Canada. But this is Canada. Our sense of Canadian racial exceptionalism pushes some of us to proclaim, it's Americans that have a race problem, not us. These attention-seeking black radical activists complaining about anti-black racism or whatever are being aided by the left-leaning media to complain about American problems that we simply just don't have here. Blacks in Canada are so often met with this kind of response when we speak about our lived experience that just being black in Canada can feel deflating, paralyzing, and oppressive. So often many of us just sigh heavily while silently bearing our unrecognized truths and expressing ourselves in an exasperated version of the popularized protest chant, I can't breathe. The lived experiences of African, Caribbean, Black Canadians are often ignored to continue a cultural narrative that maintains Canada as not being racist. 
And yet, as Morgan says, anti-black racism is most often subtly buried and embedded in Canada's social structures and collective subconscious. Eugenic or family planning initiatives are also part of Canadian history, where 40,000 Indigenous children are in in-state care in Canada at this moment. Not to mention residential schools as a way to forcefully assimilate First Nations people into European settler ways of living. We see the last segregated school was shut down in 1983 in Nova Scotia, not to mention Indigenous people only given the right to vote in 1960. The last residential school in Saskatchewan closed in 1990. Many reservations throughout the country are still without running water, failing infrastructure, and lack of accessible resources. Black Canadians are still disproportionately injured and killed by the police. We live within systems and institutions that were built on the construction of violating certain bodies and maintaining white supremacist and colonial narratives within their core. The ways in which black people are being treated in the U.S. are having serious health outcomes for us. So why are none of these similar experiences being acknowledged in Canada? Just because the information, statistics and research is sparse does not mean that we cannot begin the discussion on racial inequality in healthcare and institutional racism within Canada.